So what if your mixer is, is broken? <laughs> all right, let's just go home. Y'all figure out what that meant. <laughs> uh, we're learning all this stuff. So what? Right, I'm one of my favorite quotes of all time because I just think it's fundamentally a great truth is A.W. Tozer when he says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. No matter who you are, that's true. But I do have to say this, as much as many times as I've used that quote, uh, it's not quite complete. It's, it's not quite enough. Here would be my concern. I don't know if I'll put this in your outline. The only thing that comes close to the tragedy of not knowing the God who is over our existence is being unaffected by this God. Because lots of things come to mind when we think about God. Stuff comes to mind. Stuff came to mind before you ever picked up a Bible about God. Stuff came to mind when you were growing up. Stuff comes to mind last week. Stuff comes to mind as we've gone through a series and looked at aspects of who God is. But the question is, am I affected by any of that? Is it just gathering of information? Now, I don't know. You can survey your own life. But if I survey mine... I can look back on knowledge that was not having an effect. When I grew up as a teenager, I had knowledge of God. If anybody had said, hey, do you know that there's a God? I said, sure, yeah, there's a God. Hey, do you know that he's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yeah. Did you, did you know that Jesus Christ came to the earth? He was born in a manger. Sure, yeah, Christmas, yeah, we're into that. And he lived this life and did all kinds of miracles. Mm-hmm, I knew that. Did you know he died on a cross and on the third day he rose again? Yeah, we say something like that every, church, every day in church when we go. So I knew all that, but I was not affected by it. I mean, there was a portion of my life leading up to my teen years where I was not saved now, listen, how can you have the knowledge of a Savior and not be saved? Right? I probably am not breaking news to anybody here today to say Jesus Christ is presented in Scripture as the Savior of the world. Right? Joy to the world is about a Savior coming. You've sang that song. So we know this stuff, but I wasn't affected by it because I was not saved. It was ineffectual knowledge for me. I was, a, I was an interesting teen. You wouldn't have wanted me as a son, as a neighbor, as a student, <laughs> yeah, says one who knew me when I was a teen. I was, I was dishonest. Um, I was destructive. You know, if you were a neighbor, it was not a good thing because your property was sheer sport for me. Uh, I was disrespectful. Uh, imagine what it was like to raise me. It's a terrible experience. You know how children are scarred by their parents? Other way around, you know. I'm pretty sure there was some real scarring going on there. They're probably still getting counseling for it. My dad's 93, and I don't think he's ever gotten over it. But uh, disrespectful, dispassionate when it came to God. There was no worship going on in my life. I didn't wake up in the morning or live my life or show up in a religious setting with a blazing passion for God, with big opinions about God, with thoughts that I had been thinking about God. I hadn't been thinking about God. I thought about where to park, how to get in and out of the building. Here I was. Done. I'm out of here. There was no desire, no zeal. If there was singing going on, there probably wasn't any coming out of my mouth. Maybe I was mouthing some things. Maybe I wasn't. If I was mouthing some things, I didn't necessarily mean them. I was unaffected. Now, I was drastically affected in my teen years when I got saved. And so I went from no relationship with God into a relationship with God. However, in my accumulating of knowledge of God in the realm of being saved, I can point back to seasons where I was unaffected. I lived in my teen years, or moved into my 20s, and, and, and wrestled through issues of of fear, fear of man and people's opinions and 
you know, under, in a controlling way. You know how that can get in your life? You know, you've experienced that probably yourself. Where you're so worried about what other people think and who you're going to be and whether you fit in or don't. Your ears are too big or, you know, your opinion's not right. You don't dress this way. You don't have enough money. Don't have that kind of job. Those people think a lot of this. They don't think much of you. And that's so real. And yet you've got all these great concepts about God in your head and fear and jealousy and pride and ambition. In my 20s, man, living daily with that stuff interfering with anything God was in my life. All right, well, I'm 46 years old now. All right, landscape has changed. I'm, I'm, I'm not what I was when I was a teenager. I'm not what I was when I'm in my 20s. But I can still find places where I am unaffected. I find a lot of places where I am affected, but I find places where I'm unaffected by God and by my knowledge of God. Right, there'd be categories that you know, okay, if I put my finger down on, on complaining or irritation or lack of joy in moments in my life. All right, maybe you can join me here. Put my finger down upon that. Okay, what is it, for, what, what am I being unaffected by in order to feel that way? All right, something is missing. Something's not touching my world. All right, here I am by God's sovereign design, my life has the characteristics that it has, and yours does too. There are certain people in my life. By God's sovereign design, I have a wife, I have children, I'm a pastor in a church. By by God's sovereign design, uh, we we don't have one child, we have seven. By God's sovereign design, there's not 100 people in this church, there's a lot more than that. By God's sovereign design, these are the issues of life. But when you ball all those issues up together, right, you end up being a 46-year-old who feels like, I can't keep up with all this. (laughs) So life starts feeling like, okay, there's too much of that and there's not enough of me. And then this thing pops up and says, oh, excuse me, but I need some attention. Boom, this one pops up. I need some, and and this to-do list is, is longer than the Encyclopedia Britannica. And then you've got emails coming and texts coming and electronic devices are beeping and going off and there's an alarm clock followed by your planner speaking to you and all of a sudden you just are freshly in touch with, I can't do all this. And you start to complain, or at least I do, and whine and lack joy. Now, what am I overlooking in this moment? That, that we, we just went through in this series. We, we just studied these things about God. That God reigns over his people and over the world. That everything in our lives is working after the counsel of his will. Everything in our lives is working after the counsel of his will. So I stand in a place that has been designed by the will and counsel of God for me to stand. So if I'm standing where God would have me stand, why am I complaining? Why am I bugged? Why am I impatient? Why am I not celebrating? I'm where God wants me to be, and he's reigning over my life. And this, oh, we've learned about God's wisdom and God's power, and God in his wisdom has designed this life for me. Why am I not excited? Why am I not getting up greeting the day with a sense of anticipation about what this sovereign God is managing in my life? And if you're here this morning and and fear is a big factor, you're afraid of what might be happening in your life, of where this thing might be headed, where the economy is going, where your relationship is going, where your health is going. To be affected by fear is to be unaffected by something about God. How can, I, how can I be afraid of my future if I'm affected by the knowledge that this all-powerful God loves me, faithfully loves me, will not turn his back on me, will not, cannot fail me? All right, now, these are truths. that We took slices of those and preached an hour at a time through them, and... Yet here we can be this morning scared to death. 
because we're, we're unaffected, right? Do you, do you see how we can, we can accumulate information and be unaffected, right? So how does this happen? How, how do we lead unaffected lives? Well, you can turn either in your Bible to Hebrews chapter 4, or you can turn <clears throat> in your outline. I believe I put the passage there in your outline. Hebrews chapter 4. It's a very insightful passage and one that I hope will bring us to a place where all that we've been learning will have much greater effect on us. Hebrews 4 verse 1. It says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them. Now, the them in this context is the Israelites, as God has made a covenant to them, a pledge of himself to them at Mount Sinai to bring them into the promised land, filled with the most awesome brochures about what you're going to experience once you're there. So there's these great promises that have been made, and they have been introduced to God, if you will. Their own little series of introduction began when Moses showed up in Egypt and says, hey, guys, uh, I got this word from God. Can I introduce you to him? He's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Look, I know you've been here for 400-plus years. You may have tended to forget about him amongst the land of Ra and all the fake gods that are around here. But there's a real God. Let me tell you about it. As a matter of fact, he's going to bust us out of here. Watch this. Ten cool things are about to happen. So Moses says, let me introduce you to God. God puts on a fireworks show like it hadn't been seen anywhere before. And they get busted out of Egypt, and they go to Mount Sinai. God introduces, reaches down from the mountain and says, can I introduce myself to you? I'm God. I'm the God of your fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And you will have no other gods before me. Right? So God, they meet God. That's who this is referring to. Good news came to us, just as to them. But the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. Here's a very important dynamic. There is, in this passage, ingredients to benefit. Do you see what they are? There's more than one. One of them is listening, and the other one is faith. These are two very important ingredients. Not one, but two. Charles Spurgeon says, The people that came out of Egypt were an interesting company. If we think of what God had done on their behalf and of what he proposed to do for them, they had been lifted up from a state of slavery into one of freedom. They were on their way to a country where they were to be settled, each one upon his own portion of land, therein to become priests and kings unto Jehovah. What an unhappy circumstance that the high ideal set before them was never realized by any of them save two lone men, Joshua and Caleb. All right, now can you just for a moment, those of you who know the, the biblical history behind this, can you get a sense of the tragedy in that statement? Here are a people under the burden of slavery. They've been crying out to God. God shows up and just totally upsets the entire world that they are a part of, introduces himself, makes a covenant with them. I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. I'm with you. I'm for you. I'm going to take care of things. I've made these promises. Here's what the future is going to look like for you. And none of them benefited from what he said, except for two of them. Now, that's the weight of what the writer of Hebrews brings to this moment when he turns to us and he says, let us fear lest any of us should end up like that. Okay, now, we are all in the crosshairs of this passage. None of us are exempt in this fallen world where fighting for faith is a daily event. We are not exempt from this passage. We will one day be exempt when faith becomes sight 
We no longer look upon God through the eyes of faith. We look upon him through the eyes of sight. We will see him as he is. In that day, this passage will no longer apply. There will not be anybody in heaven need to be told, let us fear. But upon this earth, in this setting, you and I need to hear this advice. Be sobered. We've seen this before. And it could happen again. And unfortunately, I think all of us have to realize it does happen, doesn't it? Well, how does this, how does, how does this happen? I want, I want to talk to us for a moment about what I call the art and exercise of meditation, this word. I'm going to have to pull it out of the foreign language that we get used to hearing it in. But meditation is a dynamic that has to do with mixing something. That's how it's kind of used in Scripture. Um, and all of us are going to go home today to a house that it's been there for however long. Some of us bought houses, been there for years and years and years. And, and unless you live in some really bad parts of town or you built your house on mucky gumbo, your house looks straight, doesn't it, when you show up? You know, there are houses I know. There's some in Kenner that look like they're about to be launched in the space. <clears throat> and they're kind of tilted like this. And it's like, hey, countdown here at the takeoff. <clears throat> but your house is built... And everything you see above the ground is built on a foundation. And this foundation is what keeps your house usable, strong, healthy. Well, that foundation is made of something. Do you know what your foundation is made of? I'm sorry. I've got that nerdy engineer thing coming out of me. Your foundation is made of cement, right? It's a cement foundation. Yes and no. Because cement... When cement starts out, do you know what it starts out like? A powder. Right? You've done any work in your yard, you needed some cement, you buy it in the bag. So in one sense, your house is not built on cement. Because if we just took a bunch of powder bags and poured them into the ground and you built your house on top of that, when you go home today, it will be launching into outer space. Because <laughs> that cement can't hold your house. What do you got to do to that cement for it to be helpful? You got to wet it. You've got to mix water with it for it to take on different qualities. It combines with water and becomes strong and sturdy. Now, listen, if you do that wrong, by the way, uh, it's why you have cracks in your floor. You put too much water in, your floors crack. If you leave pockets of air mixed with the, uh, the powder, well, then that becomes an area of collapse. So compression becomes a problem. So... If your house is standing and it's doing well, it's because you've built it upon a mixture of two things. Cement and water were mixed together. Well, you know, that's what we find in this verse here. We find a mixture here in this passage. And it says this. There was a message that they heard, but the message, the message is one ingredient, and it did not benefit them. Was it a good message? It's the gospel. It's an incredible message. It's the message that reveals God to us. But it didn't benefit them because it was not united by faith. It's like the other ingredient for them never got mixed into what they heard. They heard, but they didn't mix faith with what they heard. The word there for united is sun karanumi. It's two words. Soon is, is together with. And karanumi is to mix. And it was, it was the word used all over the Bible when they mixed water and wine together. In, in the time in which they lived, they would mix water and wine. And, you know, once you do that, there's a certain property that takes place when you mix water and wine. It's not as though you pour wine into a glass, you pour water in the glass, and half the glass has got wine in it and half of it's got water in it, right? No, you... you you mix them together, and you, now you can't, you can't tell where one starts and one ends. They just all become one thing together. Same thing with cement. When you mix water and cement together, it's not as though you got cement in one part and water in the other. You've got this thing that's come together. Now they've been mixed, and they've become one. And what's interesting here is that that word karanumi is different than another word in the Greek that was available. The word mignumi has to do with mixing but remaining distinct. Karanumi has to do with the process of mixing. The various substances become a single mass 
and the constituent parts are indistinguishable. So in a careful choosing of words in this passage, you don't have, like if we were to, to fill this room up with grain, like a big grain elevator, and you put corn and wheat in here, that'd be mignumi because those two will never come together. They'll be in the same room and they'll be kind of mixed together, but they're not going to become inseparable. The word here is inseparable. They combine into one thing. So you have the cement and the water. You have the gospel and faith, and they get mixed together in such a way that they have become so entangled in one another that they're together. They're one thing now. They can't just be a message in us that we have heard distinct from faith in us. That becomes a recipe for failure. Our houses as Christians fall down. Thayer says the the hearers had not, by their faith, let it find its way into their minds and, listen, made it their own. Right? Do you know the difference between things that you know and things that you own? Right? If you ever have to turn around and teach something, you'll find out how much you own it. If you have to listen, that's one thing. Right? If you, you know, you're helping your kids do schoolwork or something and you ask them, you know, do you understand this? Almost all the time because they just want to be done with the assignment. Yeah, yeah, I get it. All right, well, explain it back to me. And they're done, right? Well, you don't own it, and therefore you can't use it. I give you a test right now, you're clueless. You have no idea where to go with this. Right? There's some things about God that you and I just can't say, hey, everybody here cool? God is sovereign. Everybody got that? Yeah, yeah, I got that. All right, so then explain to me why you're complaining and whining and no joy. Well, because I, I didn't mix that sovereignty in with my faith to where I really believe it and it's affecting who I am. I've let those two things be separate. And well, that's what this verse is getting at. This mixer of meditation, thinking upon what we listen to and hear. J.I. Packer, in his book, Praying, says meditation is essentially a matter of corralling random ideas about God in his presence and under his eye in order to form clear, orderly, vivid, and nourishing thoughts about him. If we want to be healthy Christians, the discipline of celebratory thinking that we call meditation is something that we cannot do without. It is an art that all praying people need to master. This dynamic of meditation is to take things that are, are on the surface familiar to us and to look at them, gaze at them, mix ourselves with them, bring thoughts to bear on them, ask questions about it, discover the implications of it. And then those things speak to us, then our faith is immersed into those things. But just to be vaguely familiar with notions about God, so what? John Owen, the Puritan, were very much helpful in the realm of meditation. He says, meditate on God with God. When we undertake thoughts and meditations of God, his excellencies, his properties, his glory, his majesty, his love, his goodness. Let it be done in a way of speaking unto God in a deep humiliation and abasement of our souls before him. This will fix the mind and draw it forth from one thing to another to give the glory unto God in a due manner and affect the soul, until it be brought into that holy admiration of God and delight in him, which is acceptable unto him. Right? This, this, is, not, this is not just listening to a message. This is not just reading a Bible passage here, is it? This is not that kind of interaction. This, this is fixing our thoughts. This is pulling our thoughts from something else and investing them in what this passage tells me about God and its implications for my life. This this takes a little bit more of a step than just I'm here, I took a couple of notes, I listened, there was a Bible verse mentioned, we read it, I did my daily devotions. Listen, can can I say this about daily devotions or any kind of devotional dynamic that we're involved with? I, I think 
I think daily devotions too quickly for most of us get derailed into the task and separated from the destination. We're investing ourselves in making sure that if we have a Bible reading program, that we read what we were supposed to read that day, and we check off the box. If we have a prayer list, we're praying for these things, and we get done with that. Uh, Okay, that's, that's an investment in the task. What about the destination of those tasks? Where were those tasks supposed to take me, and did I arrive? When I open up the Word and I, I study it, is it affecting my soul? Right? Do I sit down and, and say, I'm going I'm to start reading and meditating on this, and I'm not getting up until I'm affected by it? Now, I know immediately, immediately where your minds just went. I don't have time for that, right? Because <laughs> most of us, if we're doing devotions in the morning, we're skidding into the day, right? And so we're just kind of like, the day is this vortex that sucks us into it. We try to put the brakes on, we grab the Bible and read it on the way by, and then boom, off we go, right? <laughs> and we're in the carpools and we're in the work, et cetera, et cetera. Well, you, you, you really, really run a risk that you'll never encounter God well in that sort of exchange. If you save your devotions for nighttime, you know, you're kind of spending your time doing this to the Bible. And, you know, yeah, I'm affected by this, all right. Uh, you know, what if the goal of prayer, the goal of thinking about God through Scripture, the goal is to be affected by it? That's the goal. And we're going to have to figure out how to live our life in such a way that we leave enough space in our lives to not just be listening and hearing and not benefiting. What a day of tragedy. Listen, stored up in my life is knowledge that's not doing anything for me. And this morning, you get to have some more. (laughs) Now, if I'm not affected by what I've known so far, all right, well, does that mean we shouldn't learn anything more? Uh, no, but it means learning is only one part of the equation. Faith is a waiting to be mixed with what I've learned. So waiting that. I'm going to have to do some of this work. Owen says the mind needs to be drawn forth from one thing to another. Right? Here's the reality. Our minds are very busy. Very, very busy. Computers don't hold a candle to the power of the mind to run through and race through thoughts and create ideas and impressions and feelings, etc. But what we tend to use it on is the facts of life plus vain imaginations, and we mix faith with that, don't we? Right? Anybody just got facts of life going on in their life and you're just kind of looking at that like, yeah, that doesn't affect me. You know, I just got that report back or so-and-so responded to me a certain way or I woke up feeling this and what, what, what is that? I'm not affected. Not affected. Oh, you're affected. Why are you affected? Because I marry faith to those things. I stop, put it in a pot, put my powder in, facts of life, circumstances, and I add faith and I start stirring and I don't leave any space for air and it's just the right quality and I stand my life right up on top of that thing and I live in panic and distraught, wandering vain imaginations, live under the weight of how that makes me feel, the emotions getting produced by my exercise. Right, we do that. We just don't do it with the truth. Right? Here's a wonderfully insightful thought from J.I. Packer and Carolyn Nystrom. Here's, here's daily life for us. He uses the term brooding. Right? You know what brooding is? Brooding is a familiar word for turning over in one's mind problems, strategies, choices to be made, and difficulties to be overcome. And I'm going to read through this slow because this, this is so life for us. So this will be so real. 
all of us brood about everyday issues at some point or other. The self-indulgent broodings into which we regularly fall are forms of moodiness that we could well do without. (laughs) We think laterally by association rather than logically. Right? Laterally just means whatever next thought comes, boom, that one's next, this one, how about that? How boom. And we're just chasing lateral thoughts instead of thinking intentionally. Right? Intentionality takes a whole lot more mental effort, doesn't it? Isn't it just nice just to be like a bumper car ride? And you just take your hands off the wheel and the car spins around and slams into that thing and then it goes backwards and slams into that thing over there. I don't have to steer. I don't have to have a course. I don't have to have any control over anything I'm thinking. I just let it go wherever it's going to go. And if it thinks the worst possible scenario, I just let that be in my mind. And I begin to be thinking how I would respond and what do I do when that happens and then faith gets married with it. Right, this is about thinking intentionally. We think laterally by association rather than logically to some purpose. We daydream. We fantasize. We reflect on experience we've had with either delight or disgust us. We remember the impact of the emotion that brings these episodes back to our minds and we dwell on them just because we felt so strongly at the time. Right, can, I, can, I, can I just stop for a second and put a pin in some balloons? Because this is an issue, an unfortunate issue for Christians. At some, at some point, here's your timeline of your life. At some point, there are events in your life that had a strong emotional bearing on who you are. At some point, you meet God. And, and the God who reveals himself in this word, if there's one word that comes to mind quickly, of how God steps into the world is the world word redemptive. He's the God who steps in and he redeems life. So when he does that and he gets into your life, he reaches back to that event and he buys the whole thing. He buys up all of it. He says, I want your whole life. I want the mess. I want everything. And I'm going to be God over everything in your life. And then he starts introducing you to things, and and knowledge begins to get filled in. And you start learning things like God is sovereign over your life. He is purposeful in your life. And he says things like these momentary light afflictions are working for you, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And he brings insight into the events of your life. He informs those events by something else besides this was me, that was them, that hurt. And that's, that's almost all we've got. And we move on through life, and every time we think about that thing, and quite often we think about it a lot. Why? Because of exactly what he says. We dwell on them because we felt so strongly at the time. When I look back over the landscape of my life, it's the mountain peaks that stick out. It's those events that were horrific and difficult and challenging, and they they got me. And that pops out for me. Okay, but when you're a Christian... You don't look back at your life the same way as you did when you were not a Christian. You are now informed by who God is and how you see that event now. And even if you don't understand, well, how is it that God is using that event for an eternal weight of glory in my life? Now, one obvious thing for all of us is none of us, like me, none of us get convinced that we need the Savior until we need the Savior. When do you get convinced you need a Savior? When you know you're in need. When you know, ouch, life hurts bad. This is very painful. How do I I get out of this? And you realize that there's a God who saves you from sin. You realize you're, you're saved from sin. You're saved from from its ruling over your life. And a new ruler comes. And that affects the rest of my days. I live under a God who both has been using this in a strategic purpose for my future and for the glory of God to come into my life, but he's also a God who is over me, bigger than that. He's bigger than that now. So that doesn't define me. It doesn't say who I am and who I can be anymore. There's a God who's come. And he says who I am. He says who I'm going to be. He says what my future is. 
So knowing that my future is not bound up in that event, I totally can look at that thing differently. But sadly, there's a lot of Christians who don't. So and what happens is, is Hebrews 4 comes to that person's life. This amazing revelation about who God is and what he's doing in the world to redeem things out of the effects and control of sin, and it's of no benefit. i got a great God, but you don't understand. I have a terrible thing happen to me. Listen, on a human level, we all have some terrible story, stories to tell, and some much worse than others. But that story doesn't eclipse God. God eclipses the event. God's bigger than that thing. But I need to put my faith in that. If I don't mix faith with that, and I just heard what, I, what you just said, but I don't put any faith in that, well, then it won't benefit you. And you'll walk out of here, and that event in the past will continue to define who you are. And it's not supposed to be that way. We think of our joys. We think of our sorrows. We think of situations and perplexities that make us anxious. And so our minds run free dwelling on these things, problems of relationships, Puzzles about dead ends in the life we are living. Doubts and uncertainties about particular activities in which we are engaged. I'm not getting anywhere. We fret and that thought brings on gloom and distress. Wandering thought of this sort constitute precisely the kind of brooding that does no good. If this describes the way we're making use of our ability to meditate on things, right? You can meditate on something that's going to bring godly benefit, or you can meditate on something that's going to draw you down. All right, this is illustrating that. Then, then it does not matter how great God is or even what he's like. Right, you do realize before we did this series, before you ever picked the Bible up, before you ever knew anything about God, everything that we've learned about him was already true. Was it benefiting you? Oh, but it was already true. Oh, but I, I didn't know it. Right, but it was, still all, it was still all true. Well, then when you come to know it, is it just enough to know it? Apparently not. Because good news came to them just as to us, but it did not benefit them because it was not joined to faith. It was not mixed with faith by those who heard it. Listen, by the grace of God, uh, God has installed mixers. Right? If you look into the context here of Hebrews chapter 4, you, you find these passages just right above it, where this is a context of a people who failed to enter in. Right, right above this passage, verse 12 in chapter 3, take care, brothers, Lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. You know what you find in the Bible? You find these, what I would call one another stirrers. These one another dynamics that stir us. They stir faith into what we've heard and what we've learned. Right? That's, what, that's what praise and worship does, doesn't it? And we, we stand before God and we sing these songs and we come in and against the backdrop of what we're experiencing, we, we begin to lift up what is true about God in praise. We think about what he's done with his heart toward us, the power in his name, and we exalt those things in our lives. And what does it do for our faith? It stirs us up. Right, one of the reasons where you, know, you start struggling in your faith and you feel like, well, I feel like I'm a hypocrite if I come. Listen, you stop stirring and you're going to be in a real pickle. You just say, oh, I just didn't come. Listen, you, you need that moment to stir you. you. You need corporate prayer settings where you listen to people full of faith call out to God about this or that or this or that because they're convinced faith has made a noise inside their life. And you get around that and it stirs you. Preaching is intended to stir faith. In our lives, right? Hebrews 10 actually uses that word. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Right? We need a sense of stirring in our lives. All of us, all of us are going to get to a place where we're standing on ground where we need to get off that ground. I need to move from here. 
I, I need to change my mind. You won't move until you change your mind, right? You ever, you ever bump into somebody that is at some event that you knew that person would never go to that event? And you ask them, what are you doing here? And they kind of, my wife talked me into it. That's a statement of against my will, something beat me out. I didn't want to do this. But against my will, I was talked into it. Right? In a good way, you, you need to learn how to talk yourself into things and talk yourself out of things. You know, people use this term. It's almost a dangerous term to use in a church, the term brainwashing. Right? I mean, when you think about it, right? I mean, it's got a lot of negative connotations. Oh, you go to that church, huh? Well, it's brainwashing people. All right, well, in the, keep this from the context of what I'm saying here. Yes, yes. Can we bring the Kool-Aid out now? Oh, no. Yes, we're brainwashing because I've got, got a head full of stupid ideas. I, I, brainwashing? I need power washing. I need somebody like blowing some stuff off my head. How's that going to happen? Because you and I are entrenched, man. We love our ideas. We love our stupid ideas. We love our fearful ideas. We love ideas that don't make sense to anybody else. We love to try. We don't love to try to explain, but we do try to explain ourselves to people. And they look at us like we got two heads because, you know, they just haven't spent all this time meditating on what we've been meditating on. We've mixed so much faith with our powdery world that it's strong and firm and makes sense to us. Okay, listen, the only way out of that, the only way out of that is to dislodge one position to gain another one. That's what Owen, John Owen said. You're going to have to get moved away from one position to another. And if you're going to do that, you're going to have to do some talking to yourself. You're going to have to sell yourself. You're going to have to argue with yourself. And you're going to have to be prepared to have some good information to argue. And hopefully what we've done in weeks and weeks of study has helped us. Psalm 42. Let me turn there real quick. We'll just read this. Psalm 42 says, As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? This is a longing for the presence of God. My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all the day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude-keeping festival. This guy's having a conversation with himself. He's got a difficult circumstances that's just drenching him in tears. But against the backdrop, he's remembering some things. He's calling some things to mind. He's not just thinking laterally. He's thinking intentionally. He's not just letting his emotions drag him into this. And, you know, not only is this bad now, but you know it's always been bad. And this is just the next person that's against me because, you know, when I think back, everybody's been against me. I've always been the person that no one liked. And you're like, where are you going with all that? You're going down the toilet. I'm just thinking laterally, whatever. Well, that just came next. I just thought I'd go with it. <laughs> well, stop. Just stop. Well, that's easy for you to say. Well, listen, i got to do the same thing. i got my own issues. They don't sound like that, but they sound like something. And at some point, I, I got to stop and I got to remember something else. I got to argue with myself. I got to bring something to bear. I got to take the good news that I've heard and I got to take faith and begin to stir it in. And I got to do that. It's, it's hard sometimes. Verse 5 Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. 
Right, this is a, the whole tone of this psalm, the whole tone often of the psalmist is, is a little bit of a spiritual schizophrenia. A little bit of talking to yourself going on. Right, and now I will say this have, after having years of needing to, to learn to do this better. That some of us don't talk to ourselves enough. We listen to ourselves way too much. Right, those listening lateral thought moments... They're almost never intentionally about God. They're just about, you're bad, and let me just tell you how bad you can really be. <laughs> Your situation's bad, and boy, can't you imagine it getting worse? I mean, it can, can you think of any situation in life where it can't get worse? I mean, maybe if you're dead. Well, then, on the other side of death, there's issues there. So, hey, everything can be worse. <laughs> so when you just kind of take your hands off the wheel and let your mind go, it will just go down the trail of worse, 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 worse. And you work on that for like a month. And you're in so deep into bad, worse, and somebody up there is in this little bitty hole yelling down at you, how you doing? It's really bad down here. <laughs> well, how'd you get down there? Well, you listen to yourself way too much instead of talking to yourself. You might need to shout at yourself. You might need to yell at yourself. You, I'll give you permission to curse yourself out. <laughs> In moments like this, you just need to figure out what's it going to take for me to shut up and listen to God and believe God, right? Why are you cast down on my soul? What is your problem, Keith? Why are you in turmoil? Wine and snot. I like that commercial. You know that commercial where the, uh, where the, the drill sergeant is the counselor? Have you seen that? <laughs> oh, I wish I had his number. I send some people to him. <laughs> Here's some Kleenex, you jack wagon. <laughs> Listen, there's moments when that's how you need to be talking to yourself. You know, here you come, kind of sniveling up again about something, and uh, you bam! What's the matter with you? you got so much to be rejoicing about. What are you whining at? You ought to talk to yourself that way. You know, your wife comes into the bathroom. Honey, is everything okay? Is there somebody in here with you? <laughs> uh, this needs to happen. Listen to Richard Baxter, another Puritan writer. He says, in thy meditations upon all these incentives, preach them over earnestly to thy heart. Dispute it out with thy conscience. There is much more moving force in this earnest talking to ourselves than in bare cognition. Right, listen, I know that's big fancy words. It's just basically, it's not enough just to know things. There's not enough moving force in just hearing something. There's not enough moving force in just learning. You go back through this series of 15 weeks, and you take 15 points and you review all of them, and you said, yeah, yeah, I know that. It's not enough. It's not enough. It may not be benefiting you at all. Imitate the most powerful preacher that ever thou wast acquainted with. It is a great part of a Christian's skill and duty to be a good preacher to himself. Two or three sermons a week from others is a fair pr proportion. But two or three sermons a day from thyself is ordinarily too little. Matt, go ahead and, and come back up here. Listen, we've accumulated a lot of information over these weeks, and we're going to accumulate some more. And every time we open the Bible, we're learning and we're taking in new thought and new understanding and new insights. So what if your mixer is broken? You got piles and piles of concrete bags stored up in a warehouse? So what? You don't mix any water with that thing, it won't hold up anything. You can't build anything on top of that. Anything you do with it will become unstable. Charles Spurgeon said, where there is no faith, men remain slaves to the present. If they did not believe in the milk and honey of Canaan, you, you see why they hankered for cucumbers of Egypt. An onion is nothing comparable to an estate beyond Jordan, right? Yet as they think they cannot get the estate, 
they pine for the onions. As long as there is no faith in this world is all, and the world to come is nothing at all. If I don't have any faith in who God is, it doesn't matter whether he is that or not. Now, he is that, and he will be that for all eternity. And there will be a host in heaven bowing down, trying to draw air into their lungs to express how amazing it is to look upon the God who is the way he is. But if all I'm doing is hearing and accumulating information, I run the danger of being right where those Israelites were. It didn't benefit them. Now let me ask you this this morning. What what effect is knowing God having on your soul? Look through your life just for a second and find the symptoms that you find in your soul. What symptoms do you find there? There's sin patterns. Is there doubts and fears? Is there anger? Despondency? Self-preoccupation? I mean, you fill in whatever it is that describes what's in your soul. Now, whatever you're filling in, on the other side of that, there's a truth that's not benefiting you. And my guess is you've already heard it. Right, counseling has a very limited dimension to it. This is what happens in counseling. For the most part, most of you come to counseling, we just tell you something you already knew. The only challenge is whether you'll believe it in this moment or not. Most of what we've studied in this series wasn't really new to most of us. But it could very well be information that's not benefiting our lives. And I join you in that plight. When I look upon my own issues that invade my day and I take a snapshot of who I am in that moment, I could put a caption underneath it. What about God is not affecting me right now? Now Let me me just call out, because I'm going to pray for you in just a moment, but let me call out to those who who, you find yourself, you're here this morning, you find yourself kind of like I was as a teenager. You've heard of a Savior but you're not affected by that. Well, if that's the case, then you're in the same place I was in. He's not your Savior. If he's a Savior, and you put your faith in that, then you are affected by it, and your life has been saved. If you're just bumping here and out of church and doing some moral things and leading a decent life, yeah, well, that's what I, where I was at. I wasn't saved by God. I just knew some things about him. This morning, you can mix faith with what you know. That's what needs to happen. Put your faith in what you know. You know Christ came to save you. Put your faith in that. Why are you so downcast, oh, my soul? Put your hope in God. Take your life this morning and put your hope in God. Take it and put it in God. Say, God, here's my life. Here it is, every bit about it. All the past, all the pains, all the problems, everything that's not working right in my life. Here, God, it's yours. I trust it to you. I'm I'm looking to you now for my life. That's, That's faith. That's knowing that when you walk out of here, your life isn't your own anymore. You've actually entrusted it to Christ. He's gonna show up tomorrow. Well, how are you gonna work out that situation? I don't know. But God's with me now, and I know that. He'll lead me. He'll help me. Listen, if you've not done that, I just want to pray for you first. Just pray with me. Just pray this prayer with me. If you've not done that, I'm just letting everybody bow their heads for a moment. Tell the Lord this. Lord Jesus, I have heard of you and known about you. But I don't believe that I've put my hope and my trust and my faith in you to save me and to give me a new life. Well, this morning, right now, I do that. But I take everything that I am, my whole life, every moment, every remembrance, every goal, every dream, every dollar, every ounce of possessions, my time, 
here, God, I give it all to you. I entrust my life to you. I know that you came to save. I put my trust in your forgiveness. That your saving work, what I've already heard about, that death on the cross, it was the place where my sins were forgiven so that I could be restored to you today. This morning, I do that. Put my faith in you. Lord Jesus Christ, here's my life. Lead me from this day on. If you're here and you're like I was, got saved, but have continued to bump into issues. All right, how's this going to become real? All right, what, I'm, what, the, what this message is about tends to be in the hardest category of Christian existence, in the realm of your thoughts, in the realm of doing something intentional with your thoughts. All right, so right now, I'm going to start with an exercise. I want you to think for a moment about a symptom in your life that you're having in your soul right now. All right, when you get that, I want you to just raise your hand. When you get a symptom, when you become aware, there's a symptom in my soul that I'm aware of. You don't need to ask somebody you live with. Fear, anger, selfish ambition, pride. I don't want your hands to go up when I start going through the list. Just <laughs> Okay, we know who you are. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> all right, now you, you have the symptom. Over and against that symptom, there is something true about God that you are being unaffected by. Do you understand? What is it? And can you find a scripture verse right now Right now, pull your Bible out. This is an exercise. I told you this is an exercise. Take your Bible out, and I want you to see if you can just find a Scripture verse that reveals either the character of God to you or the promise of God toward you that speaks to your symptom. I'm going to give you a minute. Find a verse, raise your hand so I can see how many of us are moving along here. All right, on this, that verse may serve the best and it may be that you're going to leave here and God's going to take you to another verse that's going to perhaps serve more effectively but here's here's the challenge I want you to read meditate look at, ponder, consider ask questions yell at yourself tell yourself off, kick yourself now you don't need to kick yourself whatever you need to do Talk yourself into that verse. And find some place as quickly as you can. Find some place where you're going to sit down with that and this symptom of your soul, and you're not going to get up until you're affected. Now listen, can you please, please do this, because I'm convinced many Christians don't have any idea about what I just said. And so here's what they do. They listen to a message. They hear something, they go home, they kind of rub it across the top of their life, it's not deep, and they just go right back to what they've always thought in that category. And then they hear another message, and maybe three weeks later, an illustration, an example in the scriptures used, and it touches that thing again, and they go like that, and they heard it, but they didn't wrestle it 
into faith and mix it with faith. And they just go on and they're right back in that thing again. Listen, you need to know what it feels like to be affected before you can even tell whether you are being affected, right? Sit down with a verse and wrestle with it until you believe it, until you abandon this position and you agree with that one. Does that make sense? All right, let's stand up together. Thank you.